Hello and welcome to the final episode of Series 3 of the Guns on Pegs podcast. My name is George Brown and I'm the editor at Guns on Pegs. I'm joined as usual by Chris Horn, Managing Director of Guns on Pegs. Chris, I'm speaking to you today from the old cart shed, my new rustic abode in leafy Hampshire. <laughs> how How is the old cart shed? Well, I mean, it is... It's a bit of a barn. I hope the echo's not too bad. Um, but yeah, it's it's great to be down here. I must say, so we've got Zoom on, obviously, in the background, and uh, and seeing a different background for you rather than your London greenhouse with a flat is a is a good look for guns on pegs, I think, rather than the the flat in in London. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm just looking forward to being able to take advantage of being on in the countryside. So um, I'm going out lamping some rabbits this evening with my brother. Um, so yeah, I'm just properly excited about it there's a there's a bit of grass behind me a lawn and it's just covered in squirrels all day so i've commandeered my mum's air rifle and uh once the kids are going to nursery next week i'm going to be waging a bit of a campaign against them you'll have to have a chat with my dad who uh i think you know you know about his squirrel bashing in tunbridge wells don't you yeah i think he's got a count in triple figures hasn't he yeah, so he had we we had drinks for his hundredth, <laughs> but he's in the middle of Tumbridge Wells. I'm pretty sure we've got drinks party for his two hundredth squirrel coming up. Actually, uh, so yeah, you've got a long way to catch him up yet. <laughs> How's things at your end, anyway, Chris? Yeah, all good. Um, I've got a question for you uh, that I I've, this morning I went outside, and my question for you is: Is irrigation system damaged by foxes on the general license? Is that something that's that's perfectly acceptable to shoot them for and and this is because my little my little apple trees have had their little i just put i I spent forever putting a totally anal irrigation system into our little field uh and the whole lot's been ripped out even my little pipes underground everything i don't think you need an excuse to shoot foxes do you (laughs) (laughs) my general license knowledge for those situations isn't required that often but uh anyway these things uh yeah, causing me a bit of a nightmare. So that's today's news. But otherwise, yes, all good. Excellent. Right. Well, Chris, tell us about our guest today. Indeed. So um, our guest today, he uh, he has a bio on his website, which is written in third person, uh, which makes us think he wrote it. <laughs> and in it, uh, he or it claims to be one of the top game shots. So we'll ask him about that in a minute. <laughs> Um, so he captains his university team to four British titles in a row and competitively shot uh, for his country shooting team. He runs the famous shooting brand EJ Churchill, which includes the shooting school, the gun room, sporty agency, the shop, much more. Uh, he's a rugby player. He was. We'll check, it, we'll check in on that. Uh, he's, he's now become a bit of a racing driver as well. Generally, he's a top guy. He's much loved in the shooting world, uh, but he's also from North Yorkshire. So in a second, we're we're going to be shot down with some sort of southerners, Derek George. Um, a big welcome to Rob Fennick. <laughs> Hi, guys. Yes, thank you. Wonderful. Can I can I just start by saying, you know, all this top pheasant shot and everything else, if you spent as much on advertising as I did, you would get in those lists as well. So uh, <laughs> that's what I mean. It's okay. So... <laughs> Let's just put it out there, as simple as that. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad we settled those lists for good now. Uh, we'll have. We'll have yeah. to start a let's new just, one one let's day. Just put, let's just put that in the box and move swiftly on to all the other abuse. I'm no doubt going to get. <laughs> I want to know just quickly before we go on to our drinks because drinking and driving is not acceptable. Uh, racing driving. Tell us about this. Has this always been a bit of a passion of yours? 
always look it's a complete midlife crisis uh, my, my wife Jamie said that she said and I just admitted yes I'm a I am a petrol head so I love I've always wanted to have a go at it uh I've done two races came second to last and last uh the, and of course like every good racing driver blame the car the car's not quick enough it's nothing to do with my skill whatsoever is it but yeah no uh it was some mates of mine who race each team racing and they said look Rob now's the time so they bought me a little mini cooper and uh, we've kitted it out. And I love it. I do love it. It's just a chance for me to get a, away from shooting. Although the first race I went to at uh, Snetterton, I bumped into somebody who I knew from Scotland who wanted to talk about grouse shooting literally within five minutes. So that didn't work. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, it's, it's great fun. It's an adrenaline junkie that I am. Uh, it sounds a lot of fun, though. Is it are all the other cars in the race minis as well, or no? They're not. Well, that and that's maybe the slight issue. They're sort of in classes. It's all about power to weight ratio, and um, it's all about power to weight ratio. And ours, mine, put it this way, doesn't have enough power and has a lot of weight with when I'm sat in it. But what's quite interesting <laughs> is, you know, we're sort of discussing. How are we going to make this mini go faster? How are we going to strip weight out of it? Says the guy driving it who's sort of 15 stone. You know, I think that the easiest way of saving weight is I've probably got a diet. <laughs> like a jockey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, on the subject of weight, um, Rob, tell us what's that you're drinking? I am drinking a rhubarb gin and tonic. Warner's rhubarb gin with tonic. Wow. Very interesting. So is, is that something you have quite often well as a um, loyal to my mates so i was at college with tom warner who set up the gin company so we were all at agricultural college together um a very dodgy place called harper adams and uh, we had a great time and he went and did this gin company and he's done brilliantly with it and here at the shooting school this is what we serve and so yeah it's delicious actually it's not i love it gin and tonic and it's just something different that's nice and you've got the little bar outside the shooting school now, don't you? Yeah, with Stella on tap. But I thought if I came on here with like a pint of Stella, <laughs> I'd get even more of you. So I thought there's no way I'm coming on with a pint of Stella. I've got to try and pretend I'm sophisticated. As you said, been from Yorkshire, North Yorkshire, Stella, we're really getting a bit of stereotypical picture here, aren't we? I'll have a whip it and a flat cap as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but there's a there's a there's a good uh, Yorkshire connection with the rhubarb, though, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, a pint of Stella would normally be more like Chris's style. So, Chris, <laughs> what's that you're drinking? <laughs> Low blow straight away. I think if you listen back, I've, <laughs> I've never gone anywhere near that. But yeah, fair enough. Um, so uh, I went down to Devon at the weekend uh, and uh, was was drinking various different beers. Um, and I hadn't had a tribute pale ale in a while. We all know them. It's fairly fairly well-known beer. Uh, from from St Orsall Brewery, uh, but anyway, we were drinking that. So uh, I thought, hey, we'll bring some of that back up just because I enjoyed it. You know, like you do when you go on holiday, you can drink whatever beer you like. If you're on holiday, it tastes amazing. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I brought some of that back up, and that's what, uh, what 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 I've got on this pod. Very nice. Yeah, very good. But that's like a is that like a southern beer where it's like really runny and watery and awful? Is that is that <laughs> is it that sort of beer? Isn't it? Yeah. You probably well, so so it, yeah, yes, Rob, it is exactly like that. Uh, but you, if you if you have a if you have another equally southern beer like a Doom Bar or something like that, it's not not massively dissimilar. Uh, they're much better than the stuff you get up in your neck of the woods. <laughs> not hand pulled, black sheep. <laughs> well, you see, I had that on a pod a few weeks ago. It's actually very good. 
Yeah, I can't start stating beers from around the country because I'm not picky at all. <laughs> no, as long as you've got a beer, it doesn't really matter. I think what you said about holidays is absolutely right. I'm not a big lager fan, but if I go on holiday, wherever I am, just a nice lager when you're on holiday just tastes the best ever, doesn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, so properly true. cold. George, what are you drinking? Right, well, um, what with the move and everything I've not and the fuel crisis, I've not really had much of a chance to get to the shops. So I was going through some slightly peculiar bottles that we've got lying around and decided that none of them were really suitable. So I've actually got the same as last time. Oh, I've no. got some of my own slow gin. I've got some of my own slow gin. Um, but it's the start of the pheasant shooting season. Um, and uh, I think that's kind of okay. I thought about putting some tonic in it, but, you know, I like my drinks strong, so I didn't. Have you got like a special recipe, George, for your homemade slow gin? Uh, yes, but it's never the same twice because I do it all by eye and then I forget <laughs> what I did last time. And yeah, so it's um, it's it's more akin to alchemy than it is to science. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yes, fair enough. Okay, so now that we have all got a drink, um, I think it's time to put Rob to work. Um, we're going to do our segment, Rob, called Whose Bird Is It Anyway? which is where we ask our listeners to write in with their shooting quandaries and queries and dilemmas and that sort of thing and we try to resolve them uh so we keep our correspondents anonymous uh so that they can be safe in the knowledge that they're not dropping themselves in it so today's dilemma comes from somebody we're calling hank who is from virginia in the states and he writes i enormously enjoy your podcasts as they're informative and humorous i would like to share a not so pleasant aspect of a shoot day for your comments I attended a commercial day at a very prominent North Yorkshire shoot. We were all paying single guns. No one knew each other. We anticipated four drives, followed by lunch at the estate house. The first three drives were wonderful with plenty of birds for the guns to pick and choose the perfect birds for their ability. We were told that the fourth and final drive would be the estate's premier drive. My loader carried more cartridges than any one man should carry. He looked like a pack mule as we climbed up the gill. The horn sounded with great anticipation. The line of guns fired one or two shots each when the horn abruptly stopped the action. We watched in amazement at the show of birds, but also in disbelief that the drive had ended. We all understood that we must have reached the bag early, but why tease us? All in all, a great day so far. We loaded up from the drive to the estate house for lunch. One of the guns was shooting in Wales the next day, so he greeted the headkeeper with a tip and departed. When the rest of us arrived at the estate house, we were informed by the shoot captain that no tip under £120 would be acceptable and that the early departing gun tipped the headkeeper £60. All of the guns immediately visited the headkeeper with the requested tip, with the exception of one gun who was so engrossed in reminiscing about the day and chatting and sharing his experiences that he forgot. The shoot captain and headkeeper halted all conversation just as we were getting our drinks and announced that one gun had failed to tip the keeper and lunch would not be served until he did so. After 15 or 20 minutes of stony silence, the absent-minded gun tipped the headkeeper and we were provided with our lunch. Neither the keeper nor the shoot captain joined us for lunch. No goodbye. Thank you very much. Nothing. I'm interested to get your thoughts. <laughs> I mean, so usually, Rob, these are quite funny. This one's just downright awkward. 
mean, there's a lot to unpack in there, isn't there? It's like, but what I don't understand is, so, but, but surely the person, when they said who hadn't tipped, the person, there was, the person who was engrossed in conversation would have known he hadn't tipped. So surely why didn't they just say, it was me? It reminds me of when I was at primary school and I threw a trainer at my friend and my friend ducked and it whacked the teacher on the head. <laughs> and, and we all stood there, like in silence. And she was like, who did it? Come on, own up, who did it? And I was like, <laughs> and I was like I'm not I'm not saying a word. This is not going to be me. And, we all did, and no one said a word. And then in the end, I had to admit it because playtime was not going to be allowed. And, you know, at the age of like seven or eight, I, uh, playtime was very important. So in the end, I miss it was me. And I got a detention, which was my best subject at school. So, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, amazing. And your name was probably written on the trainer anyway. So she probably knew full well. Yeah, no, I wasn't at like, guys, you're getting me wrong. I was at some normal local village primary. I wasn't at as posh school like you know, like Chris would have been at. There was no names in my trainers. You know what I mean? <laughs> none of that. There was none of that carry on. <laughs> there's there's some early abuse. I would have thought you put names in your trainers just to stop people nicking them, but maybe not. Maybe it was just <laughs> to sh- maybe it was just to show the level of school you went to, the the, the, the type of the type of name you put in your trainer. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But coming back to the problem, God, it, it sounds rather, it sounds rather vicious, doesn't it? But um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, is that really, isn't it? What do I you think... think about the the refusal to serve lunch until the person tipped? Is is it is the implication that tipping is compulsory? Yeah, I mean, look, we know we know tipping. I do think tipping can get a little bit out of hand, um, and I think that it is supposed to be a tip. You know, it's like in a restaurant, isn't it now, where you get, there's nothing worse than when you go to a restaurant and you get bad service and at the bottom of the bill it says yeah. you know, 10% or 12% is added automatically to the bill. And, you know, in restaurants in London now, Chris, I mean, suddenly this tip charge, if there's four of you, can be 60, 70, 80 pound or something. Yeah. And actually the service was average. The uh, lady or gentleman who served you really didn't want to be there and you're supposed to give 70, 80 quid in tip. And, I mean... Been the typical northerner that I am, I just put, I just get a pen, write a line through it, and put service was terrible. And they look at you, you know, and think, God, what's all this about? But actually, it is <laughs> supposed to be a tip, and and for that, people are meant to go over and above, um, and you're meant to have an enjoyable day. And you know, so I think, look, in that instance, it sounds like somebody just got carried away with the day and didn't. But um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty serious. Going, we're not going to serve you lunch. Yeah, I think I think there's a couple of issues in here. Obviously, this gun who's kept a bit quiet. If he was simply absent-minded, but it doesn't sound like he was, then th- that's a slight issue because I do think, obviously, sort of being slow about it. You know, keeper's got a big job to do. He's probably got to get off, go doggy, and all the rest of it. Finish off his afternoon job after the after the shoot's finished. But the idea that I mean, 120 quid on the tips quite punchy anyway on a pheasant day. It doesn't. I mean, it's got to be a fair size pheasant day for 120 quid. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I reckon. I reckon with a few things that he said in his lines, I, I reckon I could probably guess the shoot. In fairness, I'd love it if uh, <laughs> we could do that. Because there was a few things he mentioned about a gill, about a horn starting it. There's only so many shoots, and if it's 120 quid, it's proper size bag. So I reckon I could probably name four shoots, but of course we won't do that. Okay. Well, Rob, I'll tell you what to do. Um, I've got a pheasant sound effect I can play. So you tell us what it, what you think it is, and then in the edit, I will cut it if you're right. 
<laughs> no, just cut it anyway, because we can't be accusing it. Go on, go, who do you think it is? And then we'll yeah, cut yeah, it yeah. anyway. <laughs> um, I w- would it be it, North Yorkshire? So I would imagine it was probably... Next door. Next door. Yeah, literally next door. That's who it is. Yeah, yeah okay. Well, it had to be there. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> well, hilarious. hilarious. So, um, but also, what I didn't understand was he said they the, the last drive was cut very short, was it, as well? Is that what happened? They blew the horn yeah. and... Yeah. yeah, I think that's bad form, isn't it? Like if 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 you're for, I mean, it's probably on that sort of size of day. It's probably a four drive setup as well, isn't it? And if you're gonna if you're gonna get the fourth drive and they only have a couple of shots, that's that's a bit of bad management on their part. Yeah, you want to finish on a good high, don't you? And I think that's the key. You know, you want to start on a good drive. Whatever happens, try and start on a really good one and finish on a really good one. It's absolutely key for the day. And, you know, and I and look, we all know things don't always go to plan. But I think the fact that the horn was blown and then a load of pheasants came out, you know, um, shows that they've sort of just rushed through it. But maybe they were out their bag and that's what it is. I think sometimes a lot of, uh, you know, Sometimes it all gets blamed on the shoot, but they've got a very hard job to do and keepers and beaters and, and everything else. And there's an awful lot that goes into a day. And, and let's be honest, guns can also behave terribly. And, and although they, you know, they try and get it, especially on days like that, where they try and get, you know, I've seen it where somebody, you get terrible greed in people and they're like, I've got to get my money's worth before anybody else gets theirs money's worth or, and yeah. shoot as many as possible. And I remember going with a load of mates years ago, funny enough, up to Yorkshire and we were all friends and, it was a 150 bird day. And actually, um, it was at that time, it was an international rugby player, an, an old mate of mine. And he was shooting with us. Obviously, I won't say who it was, Tom Voice. And, um, <laughs> and, so, and, and, and Voicey, we were shooting, right? It was a 150 bird day. All mates, we got on the first drive. So you work it out, there's nine guns because we wanted to split the day as much as possible to get the, to get the price down per person. Yeah. And, and, and Voicey went, oh, I said, how was that, mate? And he went, yeah, really good, really good. I um, I said, did you get a few? He said, yeah, I shot 20. <laughs> and I was like, Voicey, you shot 20. It's a 150-bird day. There's nine guns. It's the first drive. You know, what are we going to do now? You know, what are we going to do? And, uh, and that was it. So it just shows how, uh, how it happens, doesn't it? And he hadn't, in fairness, he'd not done it. He he just he was a, he was a very good shot and and he loved his shoot he still does and uh, he'd not done it out of greed or any way he just got carried away and hadn't really put A and B together you know what I mean and then suddenly but it is when you break it down like that it's actually quite surprising on these individual days even if it's a if it's a three hundred bird day and there's you know nine guns you know it's that's you've got to shoot what you've got to shoot haven't you and you've just got to go sensible yeah and I I don't know this this situation here I think. If I was him, I'd feel a bit of a bad taste. I think if if this, this is obviously a pretty commercial shoot, and you, you get to lunch and you want to sort of really sit down and enjoy the dr- the day the drives that you've just had and the day you've had, I think the sort of demanding and and I, I imagine that there was a fairly odd atmosphere at lunch after that. I just think that 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 almost certainly could be handled differently. If I was running a commercial shoot, that's not the way I'd do it. Put it that way. Yeah, yeah, I think you're about right, Chris. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's a right, difficult I mean, one. So we've got a bit. I've got a bit of a, a quandary of my own now, Chris, because it feels to me like 
this segment and the next segment are going to kind of run into each other, really, because I think we've had some fairly unpopular opinions just now. But Chris, have you got an unpopular opinion <laughs> for us from one of our listeners for the next segment? I feel bad for Rob because this week we've been given two bits of correspondence that we had to pick out because they really stood out amongst a lot of the other correspondence we've had. Uh, and now that we're sort of going through it, I realised that maybe we've got a bit <laughs> got a bit hard. But uh, this unpopular opinion is really unpopular, okay? <laughs> um, it's uh, basically, it's it's from someone we've we've named Edgar. That absolutely isn't his name. If we told you his name and gave you his email, he, he'd get all sorts of emails after this. But um, he simply says, uh, simulated game shooting will be the death of driven shooting. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is, this is tough Friday afternoon talk, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it, Rob? Um, so <laughs> he goes on to qualify his, I think already quite ridiculous statement. But anyway, he says, while simulated game shooting may be an excellent way for landowners to make more money and is apparently jolly good fun. Oh, there we go. He's already suggested he hasn't done it. Uh, if done realistically, it's undeniably the live, uh, the live game shooting equivalent of what drag hunting is to the now banned fox hunting. How can we continue to justify live game shooting when apparently there is an enjoyable, eco-friendly, realistic, humane alternative? <laughs> I mean, talk about unpopular. Rob, have you got any off-the-cuff comments? By the way, we yeah, have... Yeah, we have I, the... I've got an off-the-cuff off comment. I agree with him. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Let's just let's just jack it all in. Do you know what I mean? And uh, look, yeah, no, I agree. Hey, I, I tell you what, right, you think that's an unpopular... I have heard that from quite a few people. Have you not? Not really. I've heard it. I've come across yeah, I it before. Have. That's not... that. I, I was expecting something far worse than that, you know. Um, oh, the, really? I, I really was. Yeah, seriously, that, that so doesn't... You're saying I've it's heard got... that. Okay, but have you heard it from people who agree that it is a... Uh, what, what, what were the words he used? Uh, Eco-friendly, realistic, humane alternative, and they agree with it being just as fun? Or do you think that you've heard it from people who think... This is what others will think of what we do. Therefore, they'll use it well, in that way. No, I've heard it. I've heard it from people uh, where they said it'll be the death of our of our sport, as in as in real game, as in live game shooting. Really? Yeah. So the, you know, they think um, they think that. Yeah. I, look, you know, they think that. How can I put this? And, and obviously, I haven't planned because I didn't know about this question. No. Um, but, <laughs> but it, it's, so it's quite difficult, but. You know, they think, if I've got this right, that they, by having something like that and getting more people to do that, you're giving them an alternative to do simulated game shooting. So they'll forget about real game shooting. And if they forget about real game shooting and don't support it, it'll be the end of real game shooting because they'll all be focusing on simulated game shooting. I think that's what their point I, is. Okay, so I understand the basic level of this point, but... Uh... Just going right into it for a second. Um, first of all, it's nothing like it uh, from, from a user's point of view, from a sort of person taking part. But most importantly, if it was ever to get to a sort of banned stage, there would have to be a debate, right? When the debate comes in, simulated game shooting does absolutely sweet FA compared to, uh, to, to live game shooting for environment, economy, social, the rest of it. First of all, there's no beaters. There's no pickers up. There's no everyone else being involved or the health benefits of that. There's no money flying around the economy. There's no uh, conservation benefit. If anything, you could argue it's much worse. Uh, there's there's all sorts of 
the, the economic benefits not not there. So, I mean, it's it's absolutely ridiculous to think that it would actually go down that road. I think, in my opinion, I get quite passionate about Chris, it. Too. You've... Chris, you've actually got quite cross. I think this is the most animated I've seen you on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, and, he, and also, not only that, he obviously knew about this question coming, so he's very well. No, 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 I, ha- I, I honestly, I read that just before we went on air, and I was thinking, uh, yeah, I mean, fair enough. Like, yeah, I, obviously, that was quite passionate. But, but the point being that if this opinion does carry on and other people keep talking about it, then the danger of that is that obviously, even even it by it being on this podcast that that more people talk about it then it can become a thing but the point is what i was trying to do there is quash the idea that it could become a thing because in reality it just surely it can't <laughs> i no i agree with you completely i think though um i think what's interesting about it is you know more this simulated game this year i've seen the jump from years to years i've seen simulated game over the years you know growing popularity i've never seen it grow in popularity as much as i have over the last dare I say, 12 months, it has gone berserk. You know, everybody's doing it. The world and his wife's doing it. You know, every single estate, I mean, that's obviously an exaggeration, not every single estate, but loads of estates are doing it. Loads of people are doing it from little farms to even trying to run them on, you know, 50 acres or 20 acres or something. And, you know, to big estates, to big game shoots, to very famous game shoots doing it. Um, mm. You know, it really the last twelve months, the popularity of simulated Genshin has gone through the roof. But you, that's got to be a lot down to the fact that everyone was cooped up. And like, I remember the first couple of invites I got for a simulated game day, and I'm really snooty and picky about this. We get quite a few invites, and I'm quite happy to turn a simulated invite down. <laughs> Just being honest. <laughs> but the yeah. first couple yeah. I got after lockdown, I was like. Right, I'm there. Tell me where I need to be. I'll be there like at two hours early, just because. Because yeah, I, mean, was... what's inter- I mean, I I'm like you. They don't they don't actually do it for me. I quite enjoy them. I, I mean, but they're not they're not the be all and end all to me. You know, like you, if somebody said you want to come on one, the se- I mean, I went on one a few years ago, and um, it was just driven clays after driven clays after driven clays, thousands of them, and I just got a little bored. If I was honest with you, whereas yeah. I've been on some others where you do simulated drives and then you do a couple of flushes which are different not just driven 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 clays yeah and, and they were really good fun you know so i think there's there's different ones out there um but look i don't think it'd be the death of our sport for me the more people that get the, for me the more people that get into shooting no matter what it is is the most important thing if we you know, as long as they're wanting to have a go, holding a shotgun, be it shooting a clay, a rabbit, a pigeon, it, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, um, for me, that's the most important thing that we get people enjoying our sport from clays to game to whatever it is. And if that means they want to go and do simulated game shooting or simulated clay shooting, then good for them. Let's just support everything that makes people hold a shotgun and enjoy it in its safe surroundings. Absolutely. I mean, interestingly, I think there is a bit of internal logic here that I sort of agree with and I've interpreted what he said slightly differently which isn't the the route into shooting and people forgetting about game shooting I interpreted it that he's saying that those who oppose shooting might say well if you can do this simulated game stuff why do you need to shoot pheasants and I think that there is a certain internal logic there but I think there's probably far bigger challenges that are far more likely to be the death of shooting than simulated gamers. I think that there's other stuff to worry about. We don't shoot pheasants for the sake of shooting pheasants. That's got, it's like, it's just not it. Uh, so yeah, I, I think, 
I think honestly, I just don't think that would ever happen. I think to Rob's point, the more people that get into simulated game, the bigger it becomes, the more safe shooting becomes, get live game shooting becomes, I think, because you've got more people who will have shotgun licenses and defending, uh, you know, all these other bits, like whether it's through to the cartridges we use or whatever else, you'll have more and more people involved. Yeah, and I think also, um, yeah, I think also, you know, a lot of people on our simulated days, they use it as a stepping stone to the real thing. So, you know, the stepping stone is very much coming to the shooting school, coming to the ground, shooting clays, having lessons, getting into clay shooting. Oh, I'd like to have a look at sort of what other things can I do? Oh, I'll have a think about a simulated game day. And or, or instead of, and it's a stepping stone before going and doing the actual real thing. And most simulated days, as we all know, are a lot cheaper than the real thing. So they do that and they do a few and they go, oh, this is amazing. Um, the only difficult part is, they pay, you know, maybe three, four hundred pounds to go on a simulated game day where they fire maybe five hundred cartridges. You then spend five hundred pounds on a on a real on a real game day, and you get to shoot about twenty. So it's, uh... <laughs> that that all depends on how good you are at shooting. I can shoot loads of cartridges on a small day. <laughs> yeah, you've got to you've got to uh, you've got to manage expectation a little bit. But but I think look, I think we all agree that the more people that get into it, and if it's a stepping stone to doing the real thing, and people enjoy it, then it's great. Yeah, so I, th- I think to summarise then, we understand his point and we understand why people might think that way, but I I just simply can't see that being the case uh, in terms no. of that that actually following that method uh, from the from the hunting analogy that he gave it. I just 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 no, not at all. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Right, okay, we've got one more bit of correspondence to do. Uh, Ken Ora writes from Australia. Uh, shall I do the accent? Oh, yeah. Oh, Go yeah. for it. Please do. Right. He writes, Good day. Just a quick note to say how much I'm enjoying the podcast. I live in a remote location in central Queensland, Australia. The hours spent driving around our property in either a tractor or a ute are made a little better with the crew from Guns on Pegs booming through my earphones. We sadly don't have any bird shooting here, but there are deer, dingoes, and pigs on the property that test both my patience and skills. My shotgun shooting, which is my first passion, is satisfied by my clay shooting both at a local club and at home, where we've built a dedicated shooting area. My father was born and bred North Yorkshireman, and I spent some time back there myself in 1989 to 1991. I love the place, but it's too bloody cold. (laughs) We'll return one day to walk around the village and maybe try a day on some Yorkshire birds. Anyway, love the podcast, and maybe you could start a most distant subscriber list. What's that you're drinking, you ask? Well, it's a great northern beer, which is our regional brew here. Cheers. <laughs> 10 out of 10 for that accent. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I wanted to give you lots of abuse then, George, but it was quite good, I have to admit. I, I just I would have put my mortgage on the fact that you were going to start with good day. I just knew that was coming. Well, I mean, he wrote it, so, you know. (laughs) I I think this is almost a feature. So if if you're from far afield... Oh, God. (laughs) If if you're... If you're from North Yorkshire and you've disappeared to other parts of the world, so far, that's... (laughs) 
few people, but we used to live in North Yorkshire and then disappeared. This is the America, one Australia. The North Yorkshire Relocation Podcast. Um, so Can if, I just say I'm all I'm all for North Yorkshire. You two are gonna get lynched when you next go to North Yorkshire. You know that, don't you? I I am not. So so okay. I, I think I think if you're listening to this and you're from far afield and, and you've got an accent. Uh, write in to pod at gunsonpace.com and George will read it out in your accent. I'm, I'm looking forward oh, to this. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Within reason. <laughs> okay, right. Oh, I'm slightly regretting that now. <laughs> so, okay. Hank and Edgar and Ken are now members of the Most Noble Order of the Garters and will shortly be in receipt of their very own set of the highly desirable Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters. If you too have a shooting confession, quandary or query that you'd like us and our guests to help you with or an unpopular opinion and you'd like a set of garters, drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com and if we read out what you have done, possibly in an accent, possibly not, uh, then you will get a set of the garters in the post to you. So, so Rob, you're going to get a set of these garters too, too soon. I, I hope to see them out on a shoot day at some point. Absolutely. I will wear them with pride. They're, they're very loud. So, uh, yeah, if you check out on Instagram every so often, some, someone will tag us in, in a place, no name, nothing, just a picture of their boots on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the start of Series 4 actually coming up in a few weeks, which we'll, we'll kick on into after this. Um, we've got some exciting news for our members of the Order of the Garters. So that's any of our guests, any of our listeners that have had any correspondence uh, read out. So um, essentially, hurry up. Get your submissions in. Uh, I'm not going to say too much about what that exciting news is at this stage, but uh, some long-time listeners might be able to guess. It came out of some ideas from listeners at the Game Fair party that we had. Uh, so we're going to look forward to that one. Uh, and, uh, yeah, for the start of yeah, next I mean, it's I mean, just to add to that, it's really exciting news. And I can't quite believe that it's kind of reached the point where we're going to do what this is. So, um, yeah. <laughs> right. Rob, Um so we need to we need to talk to you about uh, about your world a bit. Um, so we're recording on the first of October. So we've got we've got to start on on um, on pheasants. But first of all, I'm surprised we've actually got you on here uh, on the first of October. When is your first day out on the pheasants? Oh, uh, next week. Of course, it is Monday, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's not Monday. No, it's not Monday. Wednesday. Can you share where you're going? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fair There's enough. no kiss and telling on this show. I can show you that. <laughs> but, uh, but no, absolutely not. But uh, yeah, no, I've had, I've been really lucky. Uh, oh, actually, I haven't been lucky. That's a lie. I've been lucky. I've had a lovely day on the partridge up in Cumbria, which was magnificent, um, which was their first time through. And it was a good couple of weeks ago. It was right at the start of the season. And they were amazing. I mean, really amazing. Um, and they just flew like they'd been flying for months and months and this is the first time through and they were fantastic but I got hammered on the grouse this year as most people did so I had a nice few days on the grouse book which I absolutely love but I didn't I haven't even pulled a trigger at a grouse this year I'm heartbroken <laughs> oh dear diddums <laughs> uh, when, <laughs> when when uh, when when you say you had a few days booked what you mean is you had a few invites in the list right <laughs> Yeah, I had some lovely invites in the diary by some very nice people. And if they're listening, I love you lots. Uh, please invite me back to So, uh, yeah, no, I did. And and it's just it's just heartbreaking. But I tell you what, you know, when I talk to some of the guys in the estates, when they, I mean, we obviously book a lot of grouse days to yeah. clients. 
and they're not going to and they're not going to shoot at all. And like, oh, I'm really sorry, Rob. You just feel for those guys. I mean, for yeah. me, it's it's pinnacle and it's amazing. But just imagine the keepers and everybody else involved in these Grousemore estates that have worked absolutely all weathers all the time. I mean, they graft something ridiculous, and um, and they're not going to shoot at all. I mean, it must be heartbreaking. I mean, it's like it's like you guys gearing up to do a load of podcasts or whatever, and then suddenly you go, no, we're not going to. You're not allowed to record any all year. And I mean, it's just it must. Just, I don't. I don't know. I. It hits us in many ways, but not quite the same way as you guys. I mean, it just takes a lot of the fun out of it all. Um, because obviously, from our point of view, like our website's all about excitement and stuff, and and then people don't go on, and they're they're not looking because they say, "Oh, you can't get any grouse days," so people don't go and try and inspire themselves, and it it it's hugely heartbreaking in many ways, but not obviously not least for the keepers and stuff. I mean, it, it's obviously been devastating, and as you say, like for for multiple years in a row now for a lot of a lot of moors. Yeah, I mean, this this for me, this has been the worst. You know, I've never known such <clears throat> yeah. a year. Like mm. it, where it's literally been a blanket um apart from the peak district you know it's literally been a blanket approach it's basically been nothing i mean it's it's been remarkable um so real sad time but look we're into the into the pheasants now partridge and um and yeah off we go off we go again so from from your perspective rob how has grouse aside how's the start of the season been it started off it started off pretty steady um I think it took a while for the bookings to get going. You know, I think everything has, hasn't it? With uh, we are not going to say that c word, um, you know. So and uh, I'm sure we're going to ban it. But but you know you can't. It started pretty steady. I think people were unsure. People were hesitant to book in. You know, and uh, what was going to happen? But it's picked up quite a bit of momentum now. Uh, a lot of shoots are sold out. And, and people are getting back into it. You know, a lot of people have already been partially shooting. A lot of people are getting ready to go pheasant shooting. I think it's I think it's starting to fly again, don't you, Chris? Yeah, I do. I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see because um, we're in a sort of funny position doing what we do where we talk about shooting all year round and it starts really early as well. Um, and then for most people, the average shooting person, if you want to sort of try and define that person the season's kind of really three months long for a lot of people so I think that once you've got a few people going out for fun partridge days they get back they tell their mates then the pheasant season starts and people start to get going and by the time you get to January people can't get enough of it and I find that that's the way every year so but I think this year is going to be fascinating what do you reckon towards the end of the season in terms of availability and days and everything else um no I I think I think if you want a day now you want to get on a book um, because I think, as you said, I think the demand will become such and such. And I think a lot of people have started to really get going now. I don't think there'll be a huge amount in January. If you wait till January to try and get a last minute day. And remember that a lot of the shoots have had to either are trying to put in, in some cases, one and a half seasons into one because they're trying to honour yeah. days from the previous season, which they had to cancel um, you know, with everything going on. So I, I can't imagine there's going to be a load of last minute, late, cheap days in January, because I would have thought they're all doing slightly more as they're going through the season anyway. 
Absolutely. So we we at the moment on Guns on Pegs have about 50% less than we'd normally have in terms of availability from shoots. So that's just loads and loads of shoots not adding days that they usually would. So what we're finding actually is people coming onto the website and almost getting annoyed. They're like, oh, you haven't really got anything. Your website's no good. And you're like, hold on a second. Do you not realise what we've been through? Um, and and uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, the, at the moment, I think there's probably about 800 days and we'd usually have about 1600 days on the site at the moment. So yeah, I agree with you. If you if you haven't got it in at the moment, get it in quickly if you want it because it just won't be there. I'm fairly convinced of that. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think that's so. And I'd agree absolutely. So Rob, um, it is the start of the pheasant season, and you've talked about your love for grouse shooting. You've been done some partridge shooting. We did an episode. Uh, a couple of episodes ago about how much I love partridge shooting. That's basically the point in that episode. Um, <laughs> but we do this census every year. 70% of guns told us that pheasant shooting is their favorite. So what would you say? Why do you think pheasants are such a popular quarry? Um, I think it's probably to do with the, if you look at the amount of shoots and the percentage of pheasant to partridge, uh, Chris would know better than I, but I'd imagine that out of all the shoots, what's the percentage, Chris? How many? Oof. How many of? You know, come on, come on! You should know this. You should know this off the top of your head. I love this. Us, you know, a question back to you. So, but what it, I would imagine, you know, if you take one hundred percent of shoots, would seventy, you know, of partridge, pheasant, and everything, would seventy percent be pheasant and thirty percent be partridge, or would I be miles out? No, I reckon you're probably not far off. But but we've seen that figure of uh, the number of partridge versus pheasant increasing significantly uh there's because, a f- because because you well also they can shoot mixed days throughout the year can't they and you know and i think partridge you know here at west wickham we've um this year we're not we've not put any pheasant down we're just because we we had a in the last season we didn't shoot at all uh we had a big ash dieback situation so we, we wanted a chance to take out all the ash from the estate so we took out thousands and thousands and thousands of tons of ash um, completely stripped the completely stripped the estate, which has been amazing because we had that year to do it. It was the perfect year to do it, so hence we decided not to shoot. But then it's completely put us back to stage one. So we've just put partridge down because we know we can manage partridge a little bit easier and spin them using the wind and the terrain we've got and game cover crops that without without the woods. And so we haven't put any pheasants down this time simply because the woods are not like they used to be. So we wanted to sort of settle it down before we start putting pheasant down again. Are you going to miss that though? No, because I mean, look, we're in the we're in the Chilterns down here, and and fundamentally, I think the terrain is fantastic, and um, but it's just great partridge shooting. You know, it's just really good partridge shooting terrain, and the partridge fly really well. Um, but I think, oh God, am I allowed to say this? When it comes to partridge and pheasant, right? You there's something about if a partridge is not that high, but it's safe and a long way to the side. It's still a good, fun, challenging bird, isn't it? Does that make sense? Yeah. Whereas definitely. a low pheasant that's challenging, that's a long way to the to either side, which is safe again. It's actually not that much fun shooting a pheasant like that, is it? I like traditional pheasants that are really nice and high in that sort of avenue coming towards you, and that I think is magnificent. I think partridge can be just a different quarry altogether to shoot, and and it just makes it different depending on the area you're in. <laughs> It's so true, but I suppose a lot of the country hasn't got awesome topography. It's just got average topography, most of the country. Uh, so why is it then 
that pheasants are so popular as opposed to partridge because if i had average topography i'd be really leaning on the partridges more than the pheasants yeah 100% i couldn't agree with you more i couldn't agree more although if you want a longer season i'm no expert with running game shoots but if you but I would have thought if you want a longer season, partridge are great at the start of the season and going on, but they can soon disappear from partridge, can't they? And, oh, yeah. and they get very frisky, whereas, and suddenly they just come over in one great pack, you know, and, and that's the whole drive emptied. Whereas I think pheasants sit tight and you can dribble them out a little bit more, can't you? Um, better than you can partridge. So I suppose that's probably why, that it's just easier to, for the longevity of the season having a little mix, partridge and pheasant, means that you can take the season from almost the 1st of September all the way to the 1st of Feb. So, so okay, to, to bring it, because obviously this is October, we, we, we need to just focus on pheasants for a minute. I want to get you back excited about pheasant shooting. Think back to like, uh, okay, 2019, because life was normal back then. Where Think back to like, where, where would you be? Not This isn't desert island shooting, but where would you go to shoot pheasants? Where would you go for that sort of day, the pictures in your mind straight away, the one you're thinking of right now, where you're just under the peg, good high pheasant. Where, where are you going? Annick, Northumberland. <laughs> so, right. Okay. Thinking about a day at Annick on the pheasants. What month are you there? What, what, what are you choosing? I can't talk. I'm still thinking about it. And <laughs> you have to talk amongst yourself, all right? Because I am there at the moment, shooting pheasants. North bunkers, just stood under the pheasants. Um, yeah, no. I mean, it, as a pheasant shoot, to me, it's one of the very, very best. Um, I mean, it is, it's a beautiful estate for those that haven't been. I mean, it really is a stunning place, the home of the Duke of Northumberland. It is, it's beautiful, it's immaculate, it's wild in its own way. It's in Northumberland, which is a beautiful county. Um, the pheasants are phenomenal. But I tell you what, that makes me love it so much, is that you shoot pheasants, but you turn around and there's beautiful scenery. And I think that, to me, makes it very special. And, you know, it's, it's all right when you're in these gullies, you know, and there's woods either side and various, you know, and in a grass field or whatever. And, just, and these pheasants sort of fly and come along. But you don't, you're just in a gully or you're in a valley, I suppose, really. And and that, and that to me, I mean, I still love them, don't get me wrong, because I, I love shooting. But but what I love about up there at Annick is you've got gorgeous scenery, amazing, challenging pheasants, beautifully run, a spectacular place. It's just the whole, having lunch in the abbey, uh, you've got to be very lucky to go. Well, yeah. Um, and they do let these, but it's, yeah, it is, to me, as a pheasant shoot. Oh. Right, so, so so now I've got you excited about pheasants. I want to try something on you. Uh, go and you, You've got to defend this hypothetical scenario here. Every, every yeah. quarry is banned except pheasants. Tell us why that wouldn't bother you one bit. Well, because I could just shoot more pheasants. It would be brilliant. So, you know, <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't, I would just, you know, so I would just make, spend more time and effort going to shoot pheasants. So, um, yeah, because look, there are some brilliant pheasant shoots around the country. You know, I didn't do a lot of game shooting when I was younger. I come from a line of, um, a, dad's a, a farmer, and I come from a line of gamekeepers previously to that. So, um, you know, and I think that, for me just being out there and I was taught from a young age that to enjoy other people shooting and watching other people shoot so and I say to so many people people say to me about shooting that you need to get enjoyment out of watching others shoot it's not just about me stood on the peg and shooting the pucker drive every single time and then being grumpy because I'm out the shooting I always say to people if you can if you can 
get happiness from seeing others. I can stand on peg one and just have four or five shots and yeah. watch whoever's in peg four, be it you, Chris, or, or you, George, being in the shooting and shooting a cracking high bird. I get so much enjoyment from that. You know, would I rather be on that peg shooting myself? Of course I would. But I'm really, <laughs> I'm really happy for you guys in the shooting and I thoroughly enjoy watching your shoots. And the fact that I run a shooting school, when I watch Chris shoot, I think, God, there's always going to be business out there for us. To <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you've not seen me shoot, and I guarantee you there's plenty of business there as well. Um, but <laughs> yeah. it's interesting that you mentioned the shooting ground because um, uh, my next question was was on those lines. So how often do you get fed up with whatever it is you're working on on the computer and just nip out to the shooting ground, have a quick word with an instructor and ask them to give you a few uh, <laughs> few pointers, a bit quick brush up? <laughs> I mean, literally, you're, you're going to think I'm lying, but I promise you, if that happens twice a year, it'll I've maybe exaggerated by 50%. I mean, literally, once, twice a year, something like that. I would do it for the grouse. I would take Sean Bramley, our head instructor, and I would say, come on, Shawnee, let's just go on the grouse, and we're going the grouse butt here, and, and which, you know, you'd be amazed how many very good grouse shots come and do that and have a warm-up, and, you know, it is so worthwhile, um, and I would do that. And I would do it probably practice for, on a few driven targets um, and go and do that. So maybe twice a year, something like that, but definitely no more than that. It probably It's interesting what you say about the, the top shots, um, because we've got data again from the census that we were talking about before um, that says that game shots on the whole don't really practice. Why do you think that is? I don't know if that's true. I mean, I know some very good game shots and a lot of them, they might not practice, but they will go and shoot. Does that make sense? So they might go and shoot pigeons, or they might go and shoot in charity clay events, or something <clears> like <throat> that. But they're, they're generally doing shit. They won't necessarily think, oh, I'm going to go and practice driven targets off the tower, you yeah. know, because I want to become good. They won't do that, but they don't just, very few of them, in fact, I can't think of any, that just stick the gun away on the first, of, this is, these are good, good shot, game shots that put the gun away on the 1st of February and grab it back out on whatever it is, 12th of August of shoot grouse or 1st of September of shoot partridge. I don't know many. Do you, Chris, that do that? It's almost a vicious circle, though, isn't it? Because I think I know, like, obviously, some of the people who we're probably thinking of when you when you say that, they're, they're the first to be invited to all the various little events in the, in the charity clay days. So, so they end up just, like shooting more cartridges during the off season than they would during the season and then all of a sudden it starts again and they're on form so it's it's probably just the way it is isn't it but yeah they they don't, I don't think that they do end up as you say coming to you and then uh, and then sort of lining up on a particular target but i mean some of them do, do they do they mostly come for lessons on grouse then those sorts of shots well they don't they don't really come for a lesson because in fairness a lot of these guys are phenomenal shots aren't they and so but they just come for a warm up they just come to yeah, loosen that's, up that's what i mean yeah. yeah yeah you know they come to they come to pull the trigger you know and just get their eye in and um you know and i think that and that can be that can be really important to do that and and a lot of them do and it helps them massively so they they hit the 12th of august and they've had three or four sessions in the grouse butts on the simulated on the simulated grouse plays and you just get stuck in. And when it comes to the 12th, you know, or whatever they're doing going forward, you know, they're on form straight away. Yeah. So so sticking with clay shooting, um, I must ask you, uh, EJ Churchill obviously hosted the, uh, well, you do host the Clay Shooting World Championships. Um, I've heard from a few people, uh, it's ridiculously hard set up. Uh, is that the case? And tell us a little bit about it, because 
Oh, I'd like to know yeah. more. <laughs> oh, right. Um, is, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Is it ridiculously hard set up in terms of to shoot as a, as a shot? Yeah, it, it is. But then you get these great shooters, Mark Windsor, Richard Folds, you know, George Digweed and all the ones we've all heard of. And they go and shoot bloody 98 out of 100. I mean, it is. So, you know, you go, oh, my God, it is hard. And they're, and by the way, it's not just one of them on 98 and the rest on 80. You know, yeah. you've got 98s, 97s, 96s, 94s. It's, you know, they are a lot of these play shooters. I mean, they are phenomenal and they do a lot of it and spend a lot of money at it. And there is a huge amount of them out there that are very, very good. And so is it hard? Yes. Is it enjoyable? Yes. Um, but it's a mega sport. I mean, I think... This world championship, if you took everybody who shot, it's like 3,000 people. It's not 3,000 different people because they might shoot, you know, they might shoot the sport in, they might shoot the sport trap and the prelim. But if you put it all together, it's literally like over 3,000, 3,500 different rounds that they shoot at. Um, we shoot over a million plays in a week. Wow. wow. <laughs> so what would the average game shot end up with on a score on a, on a round like that then, do you reckon, knowing some of the people you well, see on shoots? Well, more more interestingly, what would Rob Fennick score? No, no, don't, because that's blowing his ego. He probably got like 85. We don't want to give him airtime. Well, did, did you know that? I did shoot 85. You're absolutely right. Um, I shot an 85 and an 84. You're joking. <laughs> All right, we're, we're, we're cutting that. Ignore that. <laughs> Can you edit it? Yeah, 60, I'm sure 61 and a 59. No. Um, yeah, that's, more, that's more like my score with my side-by-side. Side. <laughs> yeah, with your side-by-side. Side. But remember, you've got to remember, I do shoot a few clays, and I, and I love my clay shooting. So, um, you know, but a good game shot would probably shoot 70, 75. Really? Yeah. It's a big difference percentage-wise, isn't it? Big difference, big difference. Yeah, big difference. I mean, however, let's just, you know, when we say a good game shot, does that mean we're saying that people like Mark Windsor and Richard Folds you know, are not good game shots? Jesus Christ. I've been a peg next to him. It's not much fun, I have to admit, to be honest with you. They are as phenomenal at game shooters as are at clay shooting. So uh, they're still great game shots. Expensive mates to have. <laughs> yeah, but, but coming back to the Worlds, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, we, did, we hosted the first one in 2014. And and been the competitive person that I am. I remember everybody going in the clay shooting world, oh, you know, we did these various competitions. We used to do the classic in those days. So it was the big competition for a clay shooting magazine. And, um, and everyone's going, oh, it's a good competition. It's not like being in America. America's the place to shoot the world championships. America, America. And I, I used to hear this. And then I went to America. And I remember thinking, you know, we can, this actually isn't that difficult. We can do better than this. And, you know, we can make it really special. And, you know, and that was, so I came back and with the CPSA, um, you know, we, we started with our sort of mission of trying to put on the world's best clay shooting event for the world championships. And 2014 was brilliant, um, but it was a huge learning curve for us. And then, and it was big, but nowhere near as big. I think it was, I think then it was four days or two days even, and then then we got it back in 2016, and um, and that was even bigger and better. Then it was 2018, and that was just over six days. Then with the then you had the World Sport Trap as well over six days, the Prelim over three days, the Fitask over four days, um, 
And then it was obviously cancelled in 2020. We ran it this year and it was just absolutely rammed. I mean, sold out in like 48 hours. It was unbelievable. And that was as the world sported over six days, the world sport trap over six days, the fit ask over five days, the world sport trap was over five days. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was great. From a health of shooting point of view, that sounds really encouraging. Are you essentially saying that that demand suggests that clay shooting is just massively on the up? Oh, massively. Massively on the up. Yeah, clay shooting is. But then, you know, in fairness, I would say game shooting's on the up as well. I mean, more and more well, and is. more people are yeah. watching through it. I mean, you know, you, let's not get into this whole, you know, game, you know, the game and what we're going to do and everything else. But, you know, uh, my chairman, Edward Dashwood, you know, he's always said, we always go on about all this problem with game. The reason we have a problem with so much game is because the sport is on such a high. More game has been shot because more people are doing it. it it's, a, the, it's a problem we've got because of the popularity of the sport and how many more people are doing it. And the demand, it's, it's supply and demand, isn't it? And the demand is just massive. And it's the same with clay shooting. And I remember we were the first people to put on a registered competition midweek. You know, so they always used to be on yeah. Saturdays and Sundays. And, and yeah. going back 10 years, I sat with a, a fellow member of ours, um, a guy called Will Hewland. And Will and I sat, I could take you to the table. Um, I could take you to the table now in Marlowe. And we sat having a burger going, we were running them on a Saturday, but they weren't really working, these registered 100-bird competitions. And Will and I came up with the idea. I said, why don't we just do it midweek? And Will went, oh, I don't know about that, Rob. But yeah, you know, let's see. And we started doing it and doing it and doing it. Now, 10 years on, I mean, literally, midweek registered clay shoots are massive. I mean, we get an average of 100 for the whole year. We run two a, two a year, sorry, two a month, and uh, on a Thursday. We've always run them on Thursdays, the first and third Thursday of the month. We get an average of 170 people over the year. Midweek? As midweek. So it's just... sold out. Yeah, and we're not. Um, Richard does one, sold out. I mean, it, and he does a midweek one. And, you know, they're just the midweek midweek registers are just phenomenal now and it's literally just people turning up shooting 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 and yeah it is it's amazing maybe i'm being maybe i'm not thinking enough but i suppose it's just the same as game shooting you know we always go game shooting midweek uh but i just something odd thinks you know just rocking down to 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 not far away to go shoot some clays midweek just seems a little bit different to traveling away and then going for a decent game shoot i don't just something about it but obviously maybe it isn't maybe i shouldn't be thinking about that yeah, I think I think you're probably right, and I think now people are. Um, and also, remember the formats change. So in um, in in last year, in that C word that we're not going to mention, it's um, <laughs> you know it, you know the whole format changed. So you had to know how many people were here and how many people are in a number. So we changed it to a squad format. In the past, you just didn't book in; you just rocked up and went round the course. So if you timed it badly, there could have been eighty people out yeah. on the on the course. There could have been 20 yeah. people on the stand, whereas now you get your time slot. We send six, then it was five, but we now send five, six people out every 15 minutes. So you book your slot, say 10 o'clock, you rock up at quarter to 10, you get your coffee, have a bacon sandwich, you go out at 10 o'clock, takes you two hours to get round, you do the competition, you're done by 12. You know, so that's you know it's so, like, thank you very much. Yeah. That's so much better. And that's one of the benefits of the C word. There's tons of them, but that's definitely one because as someone who would occasionally rock up to a Sunday registered clay shoot, I couldn't stand waiting for ages because I just happened to pick the popular time. But that's awesome to hear. Yeah, and now you see people now just, if they want to be early, they come at nine o'clock, they're done by 11. 
you know, they're back in their car and gone. They're back in the office for lunchtime or whatever they're doing or a meeting or whatever they want to do or, or later on. So it, it's it like golf. Yeah. yeah, it's like golf, except it's a lot more fun, um, yeah. not easier to do, <laughs> not boring. Uh, you know, it doesn't spoil a good walk. Um, what else? Yeah, all those, all those things that golf isn't really. <laughs> Right, that's really interesting. But um, I think um, we'd probably better start thinking about wrapping things up fairly shortly. Um, but the way we like to do that, Rob, is to ask our guests to describe their imaginary last ever day or weekend or whatever out with the gun. Money's no object. Logistics don't matter. So what are you going to go and do? Where are you doing it? Who are you taking with you? Go for it. And whilst you think... You can't choose Anik. <laughs> and I know you can get and I know you've organized some ridiculous stuff for customers. So so to so chuck in some of that as well. <laughs> oh god. Um right, so look, grouse, I would definitely go grouse shooting. I would go to Gunner Side because I just think it's mega. Uh the team are great, the place is stunning, it's in Yorkshire heaven. Um so um, you know, so I would I'd go to Gunner Side, shoot grouse. I'd take my favourite guns and, um, yeah, and I would take mates, family. I'd take as many people as possible. I might even do it, if I did it for my last day, I would do it sort of the Arab way. You know, we have three in a butt, you know, so one can shoot out the front, one shoots out the back. Because then, you know, I'd, and I'd have a line of 10. So that's like 30 mates I could take. So now we're really making it fun. And then, and so we would do that, right? Um, yeah, so we'd do that. And then we'd have the private jet waiting. And then, you know, because we'd nick somebody's because he wouldn't know because it's the last ever day, isn't it? So he's not going to need it. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then we'd, we'd, off, <laughs> yeah, we'd off to Spain and I'd go and shoot partridge at Ventasia um, and, go and, and go and then shoot partridge. But I'd only take four very close friends and I would just <laughs> shoot partridge in, at Ventasia to four guns. And we would just shoot and shoot on their fun drives and then stop and have tapas, you know, with beautiful sunshine on our backs. And that would be it. That's that? brilliant. Yeah, I, I love it. I love how you got carried away there. So so we often we get we get a real mix of these. You get people who get carried away, which I, lo- I love. And then you get the ones which are, are, are very interesting, that just so nostalgic. Oh, I'd go to the local, wouldn't change anything, go to my local syndicate, as I always do. But you should you listen back to Richard Croft's episode, you know Richard from Bessis, and he yeah, got yeah, just yeah. as he he got just as carried away as you. So <laughs> if if not yeah. more so. Yeah. <laughs> As long as I, to be honest though, as long as I was with my mates, do you know what? I, I wouldn't bother me if you said, you know, and I, and I, and this is something good to end on, which is as long as I was with my friends and fun people who enjoyed the sport who were safe and everything. Do you know what? I would go and shoot twenty pheasants out of the lowest wood ever, and I would do that. Then go to any shoot with people you know I didn't know or something like that. I just yeah, with my mates. so true, yeah. so true. About Love it. Well, as you say, that is a really lovely way to finish it off. So, Rob, thank you ever so much for joining us. Um, it's been really fun. Um, Chris, have you got anything to say before we say proper goodbye? No, I mean, looking forward to organising. We've got to have another meeting, George. We rarely have actual meetings, but we're going to have a proper meeting and and talk about Series 4. So I think if you're listening and you think, oh, I've got a mate who I think they'd be really good guests on the podcast, send it in. Uh, just, just we, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, about people you'd like to hear on because uh, you know in advance of that meeting we need something to talk about don't we George <laughs> yes yes we can't keep pulling out our arse can we um, 
Right. So before we go, as usual, there is a final reminder that you can get your hands on a pair of the very exclusive Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters by sending us your shooting dilemmas for us to resolve or by getting in touch to let us know where you've been listening from or by sending us your unpopular opinions. Just drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com and if we read it out in the next episode or one after that, we will send you some garters. That is the end of series three. I can't quite believe that we're still here. Uh, rest assured that plans for series four are sort of in motion um, and that we'll be back very soon with another great series and a whole load more interesting and fun guests we hope that you have a wonderful start to the season if you've not already been out we'll be back in a few weeks with another episode but until then thanks very much for listening and goodbye That's good banter, isn't it? I'm going to, I've got to do some work now. I've got to sign off some invoices. <laughs> There's actually one from us. <laughs> Look, I've signed it as well. I just saw it. I thought, God, he's going to be so proud of me that I've signed it off. <laughs>